And the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. Where shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, real man. Love is, is love. too weak a word. Stay back. I, I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you Don't laugh! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie! Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 155 of the next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. Casey Lee Clark. Hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. All right, so it is August 11th. We're starting a little bit late today, and that's because I just now finished calculating the NBP Film Awards for 2015 for the staff over here at Next Best Picture. We are announcing those winners today because the community, that's right, all of you, have until the 16th, that's Friday this week, to vote on the NBP Film Community Awards for our 2015 retrospective series that we've been doing in the off-season. So, get your votes in. Make sure to select the choices that you want for 2015. We will read those out then next week. But, a little bit of a preview. The staff are going to reveal their winners today. We also have some Patreon uh, podcasts coming out now throughout the rest of August for Carol and The Big Short. Those will be our final two podcast retrospective reviews and i just wanted to just say a quick quick thank you to everyone who has made this a really really pleasurable experience for both myself the entire team over here and for the community at large i mean this has just been something that i really really have enjoyed and i can't wait to do 2014 next year all right with that out of the way other stuff going on in the world of oscar Phase one is approaching. The fall film festivals are coming. We had some news this week regarding NYFF. They announced their main slate. Uh, We also have Venice coming up. We have a a little bit of a clear idea of what's going to be going on at Telluride. TIFF announced a couple more titles as well. We'll go over all of that here. But first and foremost, let's go around. Let's ask everyone what they're up to. Michael, what did you see this week? I saw Once Upon a Time in Hollywood again. Ah, yes. The movie that requires a second viewing this year, for sure. (laughs) Absolutely. And I really loved it the first time, as I've made clear on this podcast. Second viewing, fell in love with it even more. Picked up on so much, you know, with those Hollywood references and the cultural references and even the performances. There are elements to Leo's performance here that you just find so much more to dive into on a second viewing. I think it's probably my second favorite performance of his after Wolf of Wall Street. Just terrific work. Brad Pitt as well. You know, it's just an all-around terrific movie, in my opinion. I was so glad to have seen it again. That's awesome. I'm, I'm glad to hear it because, I mean, I have to admit, on a first viewing, it was definitely a very confusing experience for me, but second viewing definitely was a lot, lot better, and I'm really, really glad that I watched it again, and I can't wait to actually watch it again over the years. I uh, recently sat back and re-watched a lot of Quentin Tarantino's filmography lately, and all of his movies hold up very, very well under repeat viewing. So really, really glad to hear that. Casey, what about you? Yeah, I didn't get to catch anything in the theater this week. Um, I got back from vacation earlier in the week, so that kind of truncated my week a bit. But I caught up on some stuff at home that I've either seen or was new to me. I rewatched Francis Ha. I'm kind of trying to 
get all my bomb backs at it for the rest of the year to prepare for marriage story. And I think that it's just one of the best of the decade. And I think that it says so much about what it's like being in your twenties. And then that complicated, um, part of your life that I think that a lot of films like don't fully go there sometimes. And I think that it conjures up a lot of interesting emotions for me. And then a new watch that I watched was recently added to the Criterion channel was David Byrne from Talking Heads film True Stories mm. with John Goodman, which is a blast. <laughs> and I think that if you're into quirky, weird stuff, it reminded me a lot of Steven Soderbergh's Schizopolis, which is a smaller film from the 90s that I love a lot. And any of like certain Wes Anderson films. So I think that if you have Criterion channel or just like collecting Criterions, I think that it's worth a watch plus great music and it's very well shot and i think that it's just a lot of fun all right all right awesome glad to hear it josh what about you well i've caught up on a few things this week actually uh the first thing i saw was scary stories to tell in the dark which i won't go into too much detail because we do have a podcast review of it upcoming um i thought it was mostly fine uh it's actually a little better than i thought it was going to be and yeah i'll just sort of leave it at that i think it's wholly just sort of like an okay movie that I would kind of recommend. Um, and then I saw The Kitchen, which you can hear our thoughts on and was a bit underwhelmed by. But after that, I did eventually see Loose. Ah! Yes, finally. And I don't think I liked it quite as much as you did, Matt, but I still think it's a really, really strong movie. And mostly because of those performances. That acting in that ensemble is so good. And I think especially... Kelvin Harrison Jr. and Octavia Spencer, they are absolutely astounding. Every time they shared the screen together, especially, was just like electrifying to watch. And it definitely, to me, is one of the best achievements of the year. So I I don't know if I can go as high as you, Matt, but I definitely do recommend it to people. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really glad to hear that. I mean, it's one of those movies that, unfortunately, I feel like is not getting the praise that it really deserves or maybe i just think it deserves i don't know but i've seen a lot of people like watch it and just be kind of meh on it and i don't i really don't understand why and i would love to like hear from some people maybe you know tweet at me let me know what you think of this movie because i'm just very perplexed that this movie isn't getting like the enthusiastic praise that myself and casey have given it and others have as well so i don't know well, you know, I did listen to uh, the very wonderful podcast review that you guys did, and I remember you mentioning, Matt, that some people brought up this criticism that the film kind of feels a little too theatrical at times. Sure. And I do agree with that to a certain extent. There are some moments in the film that do kind of feel a little flowery in the dialogue and the presentation, and it did kind of feel like this would work better in a staged environment uh, rather than on uh than on film mm-hmm. but i think fortunately those aren't moments that really persist too much in the film but i do think that for some people that can take a bigger toll on the storytelling in it sure sure totally understandable okay tom well i saw three things at the uh, movies this week uh, and women were all over the place in it which is such a nice change yeah uh, I saw a second viewing of The Farewell last night. Holds up beautifully. And uh, we talked about The Kitchen. Uh, Josh and you joined uh, me with the uh, uh, review of that in, on yesterday's podcast. So go to Next Best Picture uh, the website to see to listen to it. And uh, I didn't like it. And the, uh, 
But the, the one I really want to talk about is something we uh, brushed on in uh, previous podcasts, but not really talked about the series a lot, is Maiden, the fabulous new documentary, which I think is, as this documentary race is really heating up, um, Maiden is going to be, I think, a major contender. Uh, it, uh, is, it tells the tale of the first all-women uh, competitive yacht race around the world. I mean, th- there's this one boat called Maiden, and all of the men who are competing against her, it's a real male-oriented, macho bro kind of uh, world in uh, yacht racing. And uh, Tracy Edwards uh, assembled an all-female crew, and they took took this race around the world when most people wouldn't thought that they would not even give up and make the first leg. It's uh, it's all the footage, most of the footage in it, with the exception of interviews, is shot up on the boat in um, from 1989. And like Apollo 11, I don't know who was doing the filming, but it's really good filmmaking, and it really grips you in terms of are they are they going to get by? And you see all the conditions they went through, and it's uh, it's an absolutely gripping documentary, and I think will be a major player in the best documentary race. Yeah, I was telling uh, to Tom and Josh off air that Maiden was one of the few documentaries that I have seen so far this year, partly because it pre-screened before Sundance. And I was like, all right, let me go check it out and uh, see what this is all about. And to be totally fair and transparent, I actually thought it was a feature. I didn't know it was a documentary. And there's someone I sat down. I was like, oh, I'm watching a documentary right now. But it turned out to actually be what still stands as one of my favorite movies this year, actually. I, I It's my favorite documentary, too, even above something as majestic and epic as uh, Apollo 11. Um, and I think that's a lot to do with the human story that is behind it with uh, Tracy Edwards and uh, ultimately what she does with that crew. And uh, I mean, the footage, like you said there, Tom, is it's unbelievable that they actually had somebody on the boat capturing those waters. I mean, it, it's unreal. It's really remarkable, and uh, it, you'll be enormously entertained. Please seek it out in your local cinemas. It's a terrific film. Yeah. Yeah, it's been playing here for a while at the Art House, and it seems to be a pretty big hit there. So I would not be surprised to see it continue into the fall and then find some Oscar success come next I would year. also not be surprised to hear that you yourself, Michael, went to go see it. Not yet, but it's on my list, so I look forward to catching up with it soon. All right, all right. Uh, I saw Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. My uh, my re- written review for that is up on the website. Suffice to say, I was not a fan, but I don't want to get into it only because we do have a podcast review coming up, like Josh said. Saw the Kitchen, like Josh and Tom both said. Uh, that review is currently up on the website written by Josh, and our podcast review is up on there as well if you want to listen to it. But once again... Not really a fan. It absolutely tanked this weekend. Y- yeah, yeah. I'm uh, you know the the big thing about uh, the kitchen and its performance right now that I I actually feel like the most sad about is that Andrea Burloff is a writer who wrote uh, Straight Outta Compton and got an uh, Oscar nomination for it, and she's done a couple of her things in between as well. But this was her directorial debut, and I shudder at the thought of what, you know, the poor box office could mean, obviously, for her career going forward, because we all agreed on the podcast that there is good elements there. It's just, unfortunately, like they don't really come together to create something that would be uh, exemplary. You know what I mean? Yep. So... 
hopefully it's not indicative and uh you know it's something that uh she could bounce back from and continue to do more projects so trust trust us when we say that uh a lot of hack directors have uh gotten more made for less so all right uh and then i saw ready or not which for all my b-level gore fest horror movie fans out there that just want to have a wicked good time at the movies this is a blast (laughs) this is a very twisted to put it bluntly fucked up movie (laughs) and it is just so much fun so so much fun um it stars samara uh samara oh my gosh i'm gonna get her last name wrong samara weaving there we go how can I get that wrong? She's the niece of uh, Hugo Weaving. She also, for those that saw Three Billboards, was Penelope in that movie. And she had, like, the, the great line, I saw it on a bookmark. Mm. Uh, she actually does a really, really great job here. Andy McDowell is also in it, along with Adam Brody and a few others. It's very, very entertaining, especially if you're into uh, those really silly, uh, <laughs> don't take themselves too seriously kind of, you know, gory twisted horror films it's it's a lot of fun well, it certainly looked like a lot of fun so i'm looking forward to it it is it definitely is i would say think of like the tone of something like cabin in the woods Ooh. um that movie is a little bit smarter and it, believe me there's not really um like an overlap in terms of themes or anything like that but i'm just talking about in terms of like the reaction that you might have while watching it if you like really enjoyed something like that let's say works for me hey everyone i'm aaron and i'm patrick and together we host the feeling film podcast a show that focuses more on the emotional takeaway from a movie experience rather than its technical merit. Yes, sir. Talking about what we love about film and focusing less on the critical side of things makes for a very entertaining and enjoyable discussion. New episodes drop every Monday morning, and you can catch them on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many other podcasting networks. You can also find out more about the show at feelinfilm.com. In the meantime, as we say on the show, stay positive. And keep feeling film. So, uh, a couple of things now uh, for this week here. Uh, New York Film Festival, NYFF, the 57th annual film festival, announced their main slate of films to go along with The Irishman, which is their opening night film, their centerpiece, which is Marriage Story, and the closing night film, which is Motherless Brooklyn. And as the native New Yorker who will be attending the festival this year, I must say, I am not impressed personally and maybe i will get a lot of side eye for saying something like that but there really really is not much in this lineup that on paper really makes me go oh my gosh i gotta see that you know for um you know for in terms of just award season contenders now what i think has the potential to happen here is i do think that some of these films will play at venice some of them will play at Telluride. And we were able to conclude which films, based on their distinction of U.S. premiere, North American premiere, because uh, to be clear, The Irishman is the only world premiere at NYFF. We were able to kind of sift through what would play at Telluride versus what would play at Venice, what also might play at TIFF, so on and so forth. I mean, the, the benefit here is that maybe I'll get to hear some positive word on some of these prior to and... Maybe people will rave them the same way they rave something like Parasite or Pain and Glory, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which are playing at NYFF. And that will give me like, you know, the ammunition to be like, all right, let's check this one out. This might be a 
international film contender. We don't know, you know? But otherwise, I, I don't know. Just on paper, none of the directors or anything like that really excite me. I sound like a bad cinephile right now. I'm just going to stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's an opportunity to maybe discover something that you didn't know about before. You can always look at it that way. Oh, I, I totally believe that. Absolutely. It's just that, unfortunately, this year, my availability for NYFF is uh, dramatically uh, more slim than it has been in years past. So I don't know what kind of level of accessibility I will have this year for the festival in terms of getting away from my job uh, to be able to go. So might be a little bit tricky. Uh, but I mean, some positive things in here, obviously. Uh, we have a new uh, Olivier Isaias uh, film, Wasp Network, which is uh, going to be there. Uh, the final film from Agnes Varda, uh, Varda by Agnes, going to be there. Uh, we also have, I, I mentioned before, some can holdovers, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Parasite, Pain and Glory. Uh, there is... Yeah, the Dardenne Brothers is a film. Young Ahmed is also in there as well. I mean, there's Pedro Costa. Got a new film in there. I, you know, it's like one of those things where I, I was hoping for something like, I don't know, like, I'd have to, like The Truth or The Good Liar or, I don't know, Ford v. Ferrari. Something, mm -hmm. you know? And just like Patricia well, Arquette in Boyhood, you wish there was more. There you yeah. go. There you go. I mean, I'm really excited to see some of these, though, that got positive uh, reviews out of cans, like Atlantic's a ghost, a ghost love story. Yeah. Very, very excited to check that one out. Or um, Bak Bakura. Am I saying that right? Bak Bakurao. I don't know. Probably not saying that right. Um, Kelly Reinhardt has a new film. She's a very interesting director. Uh, First Cow, it's called. Uh, has anyone here ever seen, like, you know, Meek's Cutoff or Wendy and Lucy, Certain Women? Yes. Yeah, Wendy and Lucy, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think Wendy and Lucy is my favorite film of hers, probably. I uh, wasn't a big fan of Certain Women, though, so. But still, Certain Women was probably her one film that came closest to big award success. Even though it didn't break through with Oscars, it got there with, like, Indie Spirits and Critics Awards. Yeah. It's true. So, but this one actually has Scott Rudin behind it as a producer, so we'll see what happens there. Uh oh, <laughs> I'm a little curious though because um, I, this cast I, I don't really recognize the names in this cast. Should should I be recognizing them? No, it's not like she has a Michelle Williams here. It's more of a, you know, every once in a while Scott Rudin will attach himself to a project that doesn't have big A-list people behind them, uh -huh. and sometimes he'll do it more for the director. And Kelly Reichardt is building up a name for herself. So think about how he worked with Bo Burnham on Eighth Grade last year. Okay. It's just a way to get it out. Maybe this will go to something like A24 or, you know, a company like that. Yeah, totally understandable. Uh, so Tiff announced a couple of new films also that are going to be premiering there. Uh, curiously, just throwing this out there. No Queen and Slim announcement still. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. No Lucy in the Sky announcement still. Well, we did get some news on that one this past week. Right. We got a release date mm -hmm. that they are sort of dumping it, apparently. Which is very curious to me because remember when we talked about how the trailer premiered uh, back in the spring and the last two years, they dumped the trailer for three billboards and Can You Ever Forgive Me both in the spring and those turned out to be big awards contender films. So we all kind of thought the same thing with Lucy in the Sky. They had higher hopes earlier this year that were then dashed apparently in post-production. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's a shame. Another one too. No Aeronauts. Well, I don't know what the hell's going on with that one. <laughs> yeah, that that almost sounds like it's getting dumped too. I think yeah. it's definitely getting dumped right now because the only thing now at this point for the aeronauts is if they 
somehow miraculously bow at Telluride. That's like the only thing I can think of now. Otherwise, I have no idea what the hell is going on. <laughs> that balloon it's, crashed. It's so funny because, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, we we're talking about this is the unseen thing that's really going to sweep. And mm-hmm. no, apparently not. <laughs> no. <laughs> so here's what we do know right now. Okay. We know that the following films are probably going to tell you ride marriage story marvelous brooklyn beanpole first cow pain and glory parasite portrait of a woman on fire and varda by agnes like we know those are probably going there along with obviously a few others uh things like uh we we kind of already like deciphered that ford v ferrari will bow at tell you ride uh and then there's uh, other ones that could also show up there like the two popes Uncut Gems, Judy. I'm just like at a point though where if Queen and Slim, which I think that I'm getting this like feeling from Queen and Slim every time I watch the trailer, that this is going to be big. Yeah. I I can't help but feel like this is something that's going to ignite a ton of discussion and that discussion is going to help keep it in the conversation to contend for major awards such as screenplay. Daniel Kaluuya could come back into Best Actor, uh, Best Picture. Things of that nature. Do you think this is an AFI play? It, it could it could go to AFI. I mean, one thing that I think that we all kind of uh, concluded this week when it comes to AFI is that uh, Little Women, that's another one that could go to AFI, may not go to AFI, may skip the fall film festivals altogether. Uh, we were supposed to be getting a trailer for that this week. No word still. Don't really know what's going on there. Might, might drop this week. Who knows? Maybe it seems like they're being very strategic about it, though. I mean, we've discussed it so much over these last few weeks. I think we we need a trailer before we we could say anything more. I mean, it makes sense that it's not. I mean, yeah, because it's opening what Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, like I think about something, and obviously, yeah, Beale Street won an Oscar, but like you know, premiered at festivals and it didn't come out till mid December, and then it kind of you know didn't get as much as people expected. I mean, there's always that late-breaking uh, Christmas release every single year that does choose to skip the festivals. We always see that happen. I'm just a little curious because from all reports that I've been hearing, I've been hearing that the film is finished. So maybe a tinker here or there, but I don't know. We'll have to uh, we'll have to wait and see what, what develops there. I mean, obviously, if a trailer drops this week, we'll get a little bit more context. Maybe there'll be an announcement along with the trailer that it is going somewhere. I don't know. Maybe. Uh, going back over to TIFF, though, for a minute here, Midnight Madness uh, lineup. Nothing in here really stood out to me necessarily as, um, you know, like last year you had Halloween, Predator, a few others. Uh, but nothing here this year, like, really, really jumped out at me. I mean, some of these from, like, a, you know, like, just an indie perspective, though, uh, seem really, really cool on paper. Like, um, Color Out of Space is definitely one that jumped out to me. Or um, The Vast of Night was another one that, uh, on paper, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, that looks awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, TIFF always has some really interesting programming from their Midnight Madness selection, so... I don't know. We'll have to see what uh, comes out of that. Maybe there'll be uh, some hidden gem in there that will, uh, you know, captivate us the same way, like something like a, um, you know, like a Ready or Not or a Little Monsters or, you know, small movies like that, you know. And uh, <laughs> you guys all saw uh, Riz Ahmed, Sound of Metal, yeah. behind those drums. <laughs> it's like nobody was talking about the movie. All they were talking about was uh, the glow up of Riz Ahmed. <laughs> <laughs> 
What is this one also too that I'm seeing a little bit on um, called Proxima? I saw uh, I saw I saw Eva Green was in that one. That was another uh, space movie. Oh. Uh, an astronaut and mother grapples with her commitment to her daughter as she undergoes grueling physical training for a one-year stint in space. Directed by Alice Wynaker. Oh, I don't know that one. So yeah, m- more information to come on the fall film festivals. A lot of things are starting to slowly develop, as we know. It's a, it's a slow crawl right now until we get to the end of the month. Once we hit the Labor Day weekend and Telluride starts to roll around the corner along with Venice, we'll have a more clear picture of everything that's happening, and the reactions will start to drop, and we'll start to formulate our predictions better. Speaking of which, pretty soon we will have predictions for below-the-line categories listed on the site along with above-the-line categories as well, so everybody will be able to get a better snapshot of what the MVP team is thinking in terms of the entire awards race. Now, what I want to do is I want to move over to a film that premiered at Sundance earlier this year, and um, it is going to TIFF as well. It looks like it could potentially be an awards contender for writer and star Shia LaBeouf. It is called Honey Boy. Let's take a look at the trailer. No, 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 no! And cut! Hello? I wish I was a little bit taller. I wish I was a baller. I wish I had a girl who looked good. I would not. What am I being arrested for? What am I being arrested for? Huh? You think you're hot? Because you don't know how good I am at what I do. I see you. Concentrate real hard. Be a 12-year-old. Pie fight. Ugh. It's not a pie fight. Think it through. What your mother got a job for? Just in case. In case what? I don't In case know. you fail. In case it don't no. work out. Yes, no. man. She's filling your head full of fear. I pump you full of strength. Because we're on a team, and I know you got what it takes. You're a star, and I know it. That's why I'm here. Help! I'm your cheerleader, honey boy. I don't need to talk about my dad. Good take, good take. You did it, you did it. Good job, everybody. My dad's not the reason I drink. He's the reason I work. Come here, come here. Child life I have good instincts? Yeah, I got rodeo clown instincts. instincts, well I could never make it in Hollywood. You could if you started when I did. How do you think it feels to have my son paying me? How do you think that feels? You wouldn't be here if I didn't pay you. I kind of love this trailer. <laughs> I was already excited for this because this is my kind of my kind of movie, these types of like films that come out at Sundance and whatnot, but yeah, I don't know, the, the combination of music and the imagery and stuff, and it just, it definitely caught my attention. You, you know what's funny? When I saw this, all I can think of was Pain and Glory, because both of them are about entertainment figures who talk about their past. Mm, interesting. Yeah. Th- yeah. Yeah, that is an interesting comparison. You know, Tom, you know, Pain and Glory, that's a great analogy to this. You know what I was thinking of? A movie that we're going way back here, Stardust Memories. Ooh. Hmm. Okay. Which is Woody Allen sort of doing Fellini, but also yep. commenting on his career and what the public and the critics thought of him. 
Yeah. And I never thought I'd be comparing a Shia LaBeouf <laughs> movie to Fellini and Woody Allen, but here we are. Yeah, I, I do have to say that despite all of the positive notices that I've heard about this movie, there is still that thing in the back of my mind thinking, how good can a movie that Shia LaBeouf wrote about his life, how good can that really be? But, you know, this trailer does look very intriguing, and I've heard very good things about it, so I am very interested in checking it out still. Uh, Josh, I can answer that question for you if you want. Yeah. I saw the film. Uh, I... I can tell you this much. I think in terms of a father-son relationship drama, it's very been there, done that. Uh, I don't think that there's anything really necessarily in here from an audience perspective that might... I think it really hinges on your connection to Shia LaBeouf as as a person. If you really, really connect with him and you can tell through this movie that he really poured his heart and soul into this. This was a very, very therapeutic film for him. He wrote the script uh, while he was in rehab and it was about him really just coming to grips with why he became the way that he became and what was like his whole life, like amounting to and trying to reconcile like his past to understand that. I think if you are on board with him on this like kind of path to redemption story, I think then you will be pretty enthusiastic about it. Otherwise, if not, and you don't really care, then I can see how the opinion might be a, uh, it's just another, you know, abusive father drama movie. It's like, I've seen this before, you know? What's new about mm-hmm. this? And I, and I also do think that, uh, while I really, really like Lucas Hedges playing uh, Shia LaBeouf, <laughs> And I think that he captures, like, the attitude and the spirit of Shia LaBeouf very, very well. I don't know if the movie necessarily needed the framing device of the present and then the flashbacks to the past where Shia LaBeouf is playing uh, his father. And uh, Noah Jupe is playing uh, young Shia in those scenes, um, the actor from uh, A Quiet Place. Mm-hmm. So... I don't know. It's I, I, I can't really like predict if you are all going to be on board with it. But I do think that I I, I, I really believe this. I, like, I really, really do. I genuinely think Shia LaBeouf could contend for best supporting actor for this. And that's what I've been hearing about his performance, which, again, <laughs> kind of surprising to me. But I've heard it from enough reliable people to feel like it must be true. What's your read on it, Michael, in terms of uh, Shia LaBeouf uh, getting awards potential for this? I think Shia LaBeouf is such a polarizing figure, as we've seen over the last decade or so, that I really don't know how the Academy at large and even other voting bodies, I don't know how they're going to respond to him, even though he seems, you know, cleaned up here and like he's doing something more interesting. I think we all just have to wait and see. But based on this trailer, it looks like he's giving a pretty strong performance, the best we've seen maybe ever from him. So... Uh, I would just wait and see how people seem to respond to the movie first. You know, this does actually weirdly feel like a performance that could show up at Globes and SAG. And then all of a sudden we're like really looking at it thinking, oh, is this going to actually happen? And then Oscars come around and he doesn't make the cut. And then we kind of fall back on that industry uh, perception aspect. Yeah, because like the Globes might go in for, you know, there's a big actor doing something different and SAG might really respond to it because it's an actor telling his own story and that might help with that awards narrative. But then suddenly that kind of closed off nature of the Academy might uh, sort of prevent that from really crossing over. Yeah, if he behaves himself on the campaign trail, 
There is a scenario where it might be a comeback story. I mean, I can tell you this much. When he came out at Sundance and he got a standing ovation, he actually cried on stage and was extremely open and transparent about what it took for him to make this, how he was before. And I think if he just keeps up that humility on the campaign trail, I really, really think people are going to respond to that a lot. So that's that's my read on it at the moment. And oh, shout out too to uh, director Alma Harrell, who I, I think, you know, in terms of like how she actually shoots some parts of this movie are pretty unique and also very inventive. And it helps to give the film uh, that little extra boost that it doesn't feel as. And listen, this is not a criticism so much, but like I don't really like workman like movies that much. I, I like there to be a little bit of flair, you know, to kind of spice things up a bit. And uh, she definitely has that. So uh, credit to her for giving that film a little bit of a, you know, little oomph in there. So, you know, Shia is a likable guy. You go back to as early as something like Even Stevens on Disney Channel with Launch's career. And he has it. You know, he has charisma. He led movies for a while. It was just earlier this decade when he went down that pretty bad path that we all forgot how you know great he could be. So now to see him doing this and turn it around, but remind us, oh, Shayek not only is a good dramatic actor, but has the charm. You know, we'll see how that brings him on the campaign trail. You know who's an actor that we have always had love and affection for and uh, has never wavered from that path? Kate mm. Blanchett. Oh, obviously. Love that transition. <laughs> so for this week's poll, we are asking everyone for the release of Where'd You Go, Bernadette, the new Richard Linklater film starring Kate Blanchett. Get ready, everyone. This is a tough one. We are asking everyone, which is their favorite Kate Blanchett performance? Yikes. Tough one. Choices include The Aviator, Babel, Blue Jasmine, Carol, Cinderella, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button, Elizabeth, Elizabeth the Golden Age, Hannah, I'm Not There, The Lord of the Rings, The Talented Mr. Ripley, Notes on a Scandal, Thor Ragnarok, and yes, for those that have already seen it, Where'd You Go Bernadette is also listed. Oh, where do you begin with Kate? There is so much good stuff there. But in terms of picking an absolute favorite, this was not a tough call for me. Oh, I know. You picked Blue Jasmine. Blue Jasmine is one of the great performances I have ever seen. I would say that I think it is when I think back on the decade of Oscar wins for Best Actress, I think she might be at the top of mine, possibly. For for a filmmaker who has uh, directed so many women to Oscars, Woody Allen, I, I just transcended himself by directing Kate Blanchett in this. She is so good. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Blue Jasmine would be my pick. And I also agree with you, Matt. I think that is my favorite Best Actress win of the decade. It is just a phenomenal performance and to me is the highlight of her career and a career filled with really great performances. But that one is something truly special. Like, The Aviator, in many ways, her Oscar win for that felt more like a, hey, we're really sorry we didn't get around to you when Elizabeth rolled around. Um, and, you know, good on you for continuing to do excellent supporting work and so on and so forth, you know, throughout the years. And then kind of between Aviator and Blue Jasmine, just the versatility and the range that she displayed with so many performances. I mean, had us all kind of proclaiming her as one of the best actresses of our time that when Blue Jasmine kind of came around then, it was just like, yes, you are somebody who gets that supporting and then lead actor Oscar. <laughs> you know, yeah. you are definitely the type of person that represents everything that 
people love about this business. Absolutely, we're going to give this to you. And she swept that season. Yeah, it's hard to argue with Blue Jasmine. I will say as like a as another option, I think she's also fantastic in Carol, of course. And and I'm not there. That's one that I think is a really transformative, fantastic performance. Yeah, I would say Carol is your second best. Yeah, I'm not there is definitely something that for me at the time I, I thought was just so different and radical and pretty awesome, all things considered. Uh, now, I, I have to say, like, I really, really do enjoy her work in Carol quite a lot. I love the subtlety of that performance and the tenderness behind it. And then she does have moments where, you know, obviously she breaks uh, breaks away from that. And it's just a fully, you know, fleshed out character that she brings to life so well to the screen. I mean, she can do camp, Thor Ragnarok. She can do graceful, you know, with the Lord of the Rings. She could do mimicry with the aviator. She can age backwards and curious case Benjamin Button or age forwards, whatever. <laughs> you know what I mean? She can do it all. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely... had a terrific episode of Documentary Now earlier this year. <sighs> I don't know if anyone's seen it, but she was doing a parody of Maria Abramovic, the artist yeah. present. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And Michael, that, that's brilliant. Just the way that she played that character, she deserved to be nominated for a guest Emmy. It, it was just one of the best things I've seen her do in a long time. So what's everyone's read on where'd you go, Bernadette? Because I tell you, it feels like the buzz for this is absolutely non-existent. I'm going to remain optimistic here because I know the studio has had a lot of problems. And I think this may just be the victim of some financial trouble over at Annapurna. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, yeah, I might enjoy it, but I think as far as awards, I think it's just going to come and go. Yeah, I think the uh, trailer is a little bit underwhelming. Yeah, I didn't like that trailer, yeah. especially when we reviewed it on the show. I remember it didn't sell me on the movie well. Yeah, I, it's like very. I it almost looks like Richard Linklater trying to do Wes Anderson. Well, no, I didn't. I didn't get that vibe necessarily. No, no, not like everything's like so lined up, you know, perfect shots and all that. But it's like some quirky twee element to it. I, I think there's a comparison to me. Well, he's done that before do. in previous work. You know, the quirky indie like kind of take you know what i mean it just feels a little hype based on the trailers mm. okay that's fair i mean let's put it this way i'm, I'm coming for link later in this and this cast i mean another underrated actor in here billy crudrup i mean what does yeah. that guy have to do to start getting some respect around here <laughs> always always phenomenal Kristen wig in the movie yep Lawrence fishburne steven zahn yeah i'll fuck with this movie why not yeah <laughs> he assembles cast. great cats yeah, yeah. Yeah. Great actors here, I, but I do think that there's just something about this movie that really is a struggle for me to get enthused about it, and I think it might be down to the marketing that just isn't selling the movie very well, but I don't know. I, I'm hopeful for it, but I'm just not all that excited about it, unfortunately. That's fair. Yeah. So that is our current poll up on the website. Last week's poll for The Kitchen, we asked everyone which is their favorite female-led crime film. Okay, now we had a lot of different options for this. Crime movies with female protagonists, leading uh, ladies. A lot of options, a lot of choices. Top five, starting at number five, is last year's film from Steve McQueen, Widows. Justice. (laughs) In fourth place, we have a tie between Sicario and Fargo. So... VOs all got mm-hmm. together there in uh, half of those fourth are good place. options. 
third place is Delma and Louise. Mm, excellent movie. And the second and first place films with a difference of seven votes. Ooh, wow. Second place is Gone Girl. Ooh, that's nice to hear. And first place is The Silence of the Lambs. You're goddamn right. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, I was like, if that doesn't win the poll, I'm going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> but surprised that Gone Girl came so close. People love Gone Girl. I yeah. love Gone Girl. I love Gone Girl. It's been five years since Gone Girl was released. It was October 2014. So I think people people really loved it back then. But I think a lot have come around and really appreciated it in a way that they didn't back in 2014. Ain't that the truth. Yeah, and I think also it actually underperforming at the Oscars has only intensified that passion for it even more. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, people did go to see it when it opened. I remember seeing it, uh, I saw it three times in theaters, and it was a packed audience each time. So people were there. It made $369 million worldwide. So people knew about it. It was just the Academy that was late to the party. So we actually have a lot of those films uh, currently up on the website for podcast reviews right now. Uh I can pretty much almost guarantee you all that Gone Girl will more than likely be one of our podcast reviews next year <laughs> yeah. for the 2014 yeah, I retrospective. Think that's a safe assumption. <laughs> I, I I have no doubt <laughs> that that is going to somehow get in there. <laughs> so we'll we'll uh, we'll have to wait and see for sure. And I, I expect that one day uh, Fargo will pop up as a uh, fan voted podcast review. Maybe tied to another Oscar contender. Yeah. Because um, I don't know if we'll be still doing this podcast uh, going all the way back to 1996. Mm-hmm. That might be a little bit of a stretch. I'll be old. Some of us, <laughs> Tom, will be older, you know? Don't. <laughs> but the wisest of, of us all. And we'll see what we, we'll do what we can do. Cargo. There we go. Uh, but, you know, we've done Sicario. We've done Silence of the Lambs. And uh, I have to say, they, these are some of my favorite films to uh, talk about. Uh, are crime films uh, told from the female perspective. I think they're really, really fascinating. Especially like in today's day and age, I think they just keep getting better and better, I feel like, as time goes on. Hi guys, I'm Dane. And I'm Daniel. And we're from the IMDb Journey podcast. Where we break down every movie from the top 250 list, giving our own thoughts and reviews and any general discussion along the way. But when we're not doing that, we also battle other podcasts in various movie-related games of trivia and drafts. We also give quick reviews about every other film we've watched as well. Yeah, here we're quite good too. Yeah, if you guys don't believe us, why don't you listen to these genuine testimonies? Oh, hey guys, you guys are really good. I love your chemistry. Oh, hey, Brew, it's uh, this is a this is a good podcast, yo. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, love the banter, guys. Keep it up. I'm DB Jenny. Is one of my favorite podcasts of all time. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic testimonies. Oh, thanks, guys. Absolutely genuine and real. <laughs> and if you want to give a genuine testimony as well, go ahead and search for IMDb Journey. You can find us on all your favorite podcast sites, including iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. So come along and join our journey. All right. Fan questions. And then we'll reveal the MVP Film Award winners for the staff here at Next Best Picture. Josh Blumenkrantz asks, if The Peanut Butter Falcon does better than expected, what nominations do you see it getting? Hopefully Best Director. <laughs> uh, yeah, Best Director and Best Writer from Michael Schwartz. 
Um, I, I'm really, really sorry. I know everybody wants me to say that this is an Oscar contender. There are a lot of people I've spoken with. Um, I, I will name drop because, you know, I love them. Mark Johnson and uh, Ryan McQuaid. Um, and uh, Joey Magnuson also, too, from uh, Award Circuit. Like, we were all talking about uh, this movie potentially being an Oscar contender, and I, I don't see it happening. I just don't. Yeah, me either. I no. think Indie Spirits, maybe some Critics' Choice somewhere, maybe some Critics' groups, but that, I, yeah, I don't I see it. You're right, Casey. Yeah. All right, uh, next question. From Isaiah Washington, can Joaquin Phoenix be this year's Jake Gyllenhaal in which he gets a bunch of precursors like Golden Globe and SAG but misses on Oscar nomination morning? I I saw the trailer for Joker again yesterday. It was actually the second time I've seen it. The only time before was when it first dropped back in March. So watching him in that trailer, it looked very, very impressive. And of course, we'll have to wait and see how people react to Venice and Toronto. But if his actual performance is as good as what the trailer suggests, you know, We'll see. Maybe he can make it into something like Golden Globes or SAG. We did have uh, some announcements this week from uh, both academies uh, here in the States and over in uh, London. So the BAFTAs announced that they are adding a new casting category, okay, which I think is really, really awesome. Really, really excited about that. Mm -hmm. I hope that the academy over here in the States can follow suit at some point. Uh, but the change that the Academy made, uh, I thought was even better. And that is that John Bailey is no longer the president of the Academy anymore. So, yep. Cheers for that. So the new president of the Academy is David Rubin, who also, too, a um, little side note uh, that not a lot of people picked up on. Uh, first openly gay uh, president of the Academy as well. Yep. Great. And he is a casting director. So that a might very be... good casting director. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a unifying theme here. I'm sensing. Yeah, with BAFTA yeah. adding a casting category and the new president of the Academy being a casting director, that might be a sign for things to come with the Oscars. It's amazing how we can go from one year to leaving categories off to then a year later talking about categories being added. Isn't that great? <laughs> well, well, good categories being added, lest we forget. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I, I try to forget. and In fact, yeah. I, that's why I didn't bring it up. <laughs> uh, HLVD Movies does asks in relation to this, if you could add one category to the Oscars, what would it be? Personally, I would choose a voiceover motion capture performance category. I might suggest stunts. Yeah. I used to say stunts, and then I heard an argument that made a lot of sense to me, and now I've kind of gone back on it, which is, I do worry that people might try to outdo themselves too much with stunts and it could lead to more risk. True. Well, yeah. then you get in the gray area of people who do their own stunts and then, you know, of the, oh, what did this person do versus a stunt double? And then you get into a little more gray area there. Yeah, but if you see a Mission Impossible movie, those stunts are breathtaking. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Ooh, all right, guys. We have a lot of questions pertaining to this. We're going to ask it. Here we go. This one comes from Micah, Micah underscore Sim. What are your opinions or how do you all feel about Universal canceling the release of The Hunt? And how can it affect the industry and other releases of potentially and or purposefully controversial films? Got a couple of other ones here too. Swamp Thing asks us, should artistic expression be censored? You know, it's like this is definitely a topic that's on a lot of people's minds right now. Yeah, it, it definitely does come down to this idea of, of censorship. And I mean, I understand that right now, particularly, it's a very sensitive time for a lot of these subjects. But 
I get very uncomfortable when we go down this road of saying we should not be able to see things because of that, you know, or like if you want to make the personal decision not to see something, that's all up to you. But I think that once our institutions and organizations start to say to the public, you cannot see it at all because of that, I have a little bit of a problem with it, to be honest. Yeah, I, I'm of two minds on this. Uh, when I first saw the premise for the film, I was like, ick. But just because I say it doesn't mean it should not be shown to people. And for an administration that seems to want to champion, uh, let the marketplace decide. Well, let the marketplace decide. And Universal should have shown a little more backbone. Michael, from what I understand, talking with you about this back and forth, Universal had already planned to not release the film right away in wake of it the mass shootings. As if they had been in talks all week before the president started tweeting about this movie. It looks like they were in talks after the two mass shootings to put this movie on the shelf for a little bit, not necessarily to cancel the release, but to just maybe hold it until maybe early next year. And I think that was a smart move because, you know, I think you also have to be sensitive to what's going on in the country not necessarily edit anything out of the movie, but just say, okay, maybe this isn't the time to release it. We're going to put it out in January or February. So let me just paint a hypothetical here because while I understand the intention behind it, I I, I get it, right? You know, country right now is reeling from back-to-back mass shootings. We saw a similar thing happen with Gangster Squad a few years ago. Yep. Okay. So what if they do decide to choose a new release date and let's just say it's March you know, 17 for whatever. I'm just picking a date here. And we roll around and get closer to March and bada bing, bada boom. There's another mass shooting in America because how do you do? There's no good answer or solution to this. I think though, you know, it's just, who knows if if it'll make a difference or not. It just may be in the moment seems like the right thing to do. I I just think that, so here's here's my, my, my take on it. My take on it is that what really annoyed me was when Universal said now is not the right time to um, release this movie because it triggered in my head every Republican I've ever heard when it comes to the issue of gun control saying, well, now is not the right time to talk about gun control um, yeah. whenever it gets uh, brought up during a, a great tragedy or whatever it is. And it's like, well, when is the right time then? And the answer is that, you know, there never will be a right time because everybody's just, just dodging, you know, having a chance to like actually have a debate about it or do something real about it it feels like so if i'm kind of tying the two together in that way um if i was universal i would have just released it and dealt with the ramifications of releasing it i mean what's the worst going to happen they're going to lose money on it you know and uh they're going to get some bad press about it I i don't think that movies art video games all that me personally i don't think that that influences us to commit horrible acts of violence i don't I can understand if people are very sensitive and upset and you release something and, you know, to Tom's point, you might go ick or, you know, something much stronger than that to it. But you have a choice to go see that or not. Um, To proclaim that you think that you're doing some sort of crusade by, you know, waging a war against uh, those who would rather see it because you think it's going to poison their minds. I, I I mean, this debate's been going on now for how ma- however many years. I mean, I remember back like in the 90s 
when this was, you know, a hugely debated topic uh, in the wake of uh, Columbine. And I didn't believe it then. I don't believe it now. That's just, but that's just, I don't know. Maybe that's because I am afraid of censorship, maybe. Maybe I am saying that from a standpoint of, well, if I let it slide here, then it's a slippery slope and who knows where it might go. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think that's what Josh is saying, right? Yeah. And it's a tricky situation because I can also understand from the perspective of the financials that, you know, they want to try to make a profit on this movie any way they can and releasing it in this climate is a way to prevent that. But as we've also said, it's like, when is going to be a good time to like not have this climate around? And this actually kind of reminds me of this Bojack Horseman episode called Thoughts and Prayers that almost has this exact same premise of a movie that keeps getting delayed because of shootings that are going on. And, you know, that's a larger conversation that we can have right now. But just going back to the idea of art in the marketplace, I just think that if you have something that you want to release and that might be controversial, you signed up to make the movie. And I think that it's up to you to release that movie in the capacity that you can release it in. All right. Moving on. Uh, this one comes from Own Private Ida HC. Uh, is Parasite eligible to run for Best Picture like Roma did? Uh, the the easy answer to that is yes. Yes. And not not much discussion around that, but I do want to just address that. The answer is yes. In fact, there are those who are predicting Bon Joon Ho to maybe even be in uh, play for Best Director and for Screenplay this year as well. So more to come on that. Oh man, this is good. Ah, oh, Josh, I just thought of you immediately after reading this one. King Tuvi asks, which actor would you like to next see shirtless on a rooftop? <laughs> oh, that's 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 brilliant. <laughs> oh, I think you can answer the the question for me, Matt. <laughs> oh. oh, you'd like to see Richard Madden, huh? That I would. <laughs> Although after those pictures of Sebastian Stan this week, I think I'll <laughs> I'd say Seth Rogen. Seth Rogen is actually like pretty attractive. There's actually an argument to be made there. Seth Rogen with his dad bod. I love it. Fantastic. (laughs) There's very few wrong answers to this question. (laughs) This one comes from Darren Lucas. Unfortunately, it is the five year anniversary of the death of Robin Williams. And he is asking, what do you think is the most underrated Robin Williams performance? Oh, he was so great. Just if always, could, always terrific. Yeah, if I could jump in, I'd say Roll's Greatest Dad. Yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah. Oh, my God. That is that is so really brilliant in its own way. In, oh, uh, yeah. Celebrity and death. Oh, D- Very, very dark comedy. Showcased uh, his, you know, his dramatic range as well as his comedic range as well. That, that, that was definitely a high point for me uh, in yeah, last years of his life, for sure. Yeah, he's very good there. I'm going to go back about 25 years earlier to 1984 and say Moscow on the Hudson, which I am ashamed to say I have not seen. Mm. That's a really good one. Paul Mazursky. Yeah, I think another really underrated performance from him that I would mention is Awakenings. And that's a movie where a lot of people obviously singled out Robert De Niro, but I think Robin Williams is somebody else who kind of has to hold that movie together in a very reserved manner. And he's not doing a lot in that film, but I think it is actually 
a great showcase of the more subtle dramatic work that he was really able to accomplish very well. I definitely agree with you on that one there, Josh. I mean, that that is definitely a great example of that. And he always kind of like showed that here and there. Number one, too, that I could think of where the dramatic work was so underrated was uh, Insomnia. Oh. Yeah. And I often do think about how whenever a serious, uh, sorry, a funny actor, someone that we have this perception of being extremely comedic, only stars in comedies. It's like the minute they do any kind of a serious role, I've noticed that like the impact that that has on us uh, psychologically is amplified that much more because um, it's it's not like we necessarily take their uh, talents that they're displaying for granted. Uh, Adam Sandler is somebody who always kind of jumps out to me. I rewatched Funny People recently and I was like, well, he's actually not bad in this. He's actually pretty good. Oh, he's incredible in that movie. Well, is he? And you say incredible, and I don't say that because I'm like, is he Daniel Day Lewis incredible? Is he Gary Oldman incredible? No, but we say that he's incredible because it is just so radically different than what we normally receive from them, you know. And I think Williams, I, I think all of his dramatic performances for the most part were very, very underrated compared to obviously his big hit uh, comedies that he did. Simply because, I mean, it's like even when he was in interviews or in talk shows, he was so lively, so animated, so quick-witted that to see him do anything other than that on screen, it was just like, oh my God, like, is this even the same person? Because he, he was a talented guy who happened to work with a lot of talented directors. You know, he's working with Paul Mazursky and Gus Van Sand and Penny Marshall. Adam Sandler, really terrific actor in his own right, genius comic, but the thing is, he's working with Dennis Dugan and... Dennis Dugan. (laughs) (laughs) But when he works with Noah Baumbach, for example, it's it's extraordinary. And that's when you really see the parallels between the two. And we got to keep our eyes open. Safdie brothers. Who knows what's going to happen there? Yeah. So that'll be definitely something really, really curious to see. Thank you, everyone, for submitting all the fan questions for this week. I know that we usually receive more than the ones that we answer on air. We can't always get to all of them, but we really, really appreciate that. What I'm going to do now to take us home is I am going to reveal the 2015 NBP Film Awards, voted on by all of you, the 19 members of Next Best Picture. And you all know that I was literally working on this literally to the last minute. (laughs) We're very excited. Uh, So I'm going to start us off uh, from the bottom. I'm going to work our way to the top here. And I will answer any questions if you guys have them, okay, pertaining to the category. If you want to know if it was a blowout, if you want to know if it was close, how something did, I will be a little bit more forthcoming. Community awards, different story, all right? Those I will not reveal the secrets, but the community needs to know that they have until Friday, August 16th to get their votes in. That's five days from today's recording of Sunday, Sunday to Friday. You have until Friday. Get those votes in. Vote on the 2015 MVP Film Community Awards. Here we go. Hi, everyone. This is Tim Costa. I'm Hermano De Silva. And this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers Podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together. And then discuss... These movies could be new. Or old. Or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. 
And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, no. talk stop, about stop, this minute. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I wonder who the gap can God damn it, shut up. Best Overlooked Film. This is a film that it, uh, received zero Oscar nominations, typically an indie film. Nominations were Dope, The End of the Tour, The Gift, Love and Mercy, Tangerine. What do we think was the winner and what do we think was the runner up? I think I hope the winner is Love and Mercy. I think the winner is Tangerine. And I think you guys are both kind of right. The runner-up is Tangerine, and the winner was Love and Mercy. I think our friend Daniel Hallett is very excited right now when he hears this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was doing a uh, personal ground campaign to get us all to vote for Love and Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> he was very, very upset that Love and Mercy was not nominated in any other category. <laughs> and I don't blame him for that. Kind of fitting that it was he in a little He took the Melissa Leo route, and it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, next category. Best sci-fi horror movie. Choices are Crimson Peak, Ex Machina, It Follows, The Martian, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. What do we think? I'm going to say Ex Machina. Yeah. Yeah. The runner-up is Star Wars The Force Awakens, and the winner is Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. Good. Sounds about right. Next up, best comedy film, The Big Short, Inside Out. Spy, Trainwreck, and What We Do in the Shadows. I think it's going to be Inside Out, but I would love it to be Spy. I think it'll be Inside Out. The runner-up is The Big Short, and the winner is What We Do in the Shadows. Wow. Wow. Whoa. Did, did not see that coming at all. Me Neither. So cool yes. though. <laughs> when I looked at the uh, when I looked at the first tally for this, I was kind of shocked that the votes were spread out amongst all of these choices so much. And I, I yeah, I, I mean, like, I didn't think enough people had seen what we do in the shadows to even get it that high up. So wow, it it, is- it completely shocked me. That's See, this nice is like when though. Ex Machina won visual effects the same year. <laughs> craziness wow so best action film i mean you know we already know but let's figure out what the runner-up is (laughs) i don't think this is gonna have a surprise for us ant-man kingsman the secret service mad max fury road mission impossible rogue nation and sicario what do you guys think is the runner-up rogue nation yeah i'm gonna say the winner is obviously mad max fury road the runner-up is sicario whoa hmm Josh has thoughts. Yeah, I'm just going to keep them to myself right now. (laughs) All right, all right. Will we have a surprise in best visual effects? Let's find out. Ex Machina, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. You guys tell me, is Ex Machina repeating? I am going to say Star Wars will win this, but I am not confident at all. I say Mad Max. The runner-up is Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Mm. And the winner is Mad Max Fury Road. Nice. Very good. Should have won the Oscar. For sound mixing, nominees are Creed, Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. The runner-up is Star Wars The Force Awakens. And the winner is Mad Max Fury Road. Mm -hmm. We're seeing a pattern here. (laughs) For sound editing... Nominees are Mad Max Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, Sicario, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. Same thing. 
The runner-up, same thing, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and the winner, Mad Max Fury Road. Yep. Lots of Star Wars fans here, for Force Awakens, that is, you know? Yeah, that's a good movie. Last, Last Jedi and a few others, maybe not so much, you know, but Force Awakens, definitely beloved. For best original song, we have Fifty Shades of Grey, Love Me Like You Do, Furious 7, See You Again, The Hunting Ground, Till It Happens to You, Spectre, Writings on the Wall, and Youth, Simple Song Number 3. Predictions, predictions, predictions. I'm going to say See You Again will win. That was my choice, too. I would like it to be Till It Happens to You, but it wouldn't surprise me if it's See You Again. I really, really wanted it to be See You Again, and I was very, very disappointed when it got knocked out in the second (sighs) round. What? Wow. The runner-up is Spectre, Writings on the Wall. And the winner is the hunting ground till it happens to you. Josh, how many times did you vote? (laughs) (laughs) Let's gaga, of course. I'll admit, Writings on the Wall was number one on my ballot. I will admit to that. (laughs) It was not just number one on your ballot, Josh. It was number one on a a bunch of people's ballots. Wow. Well, so you can't just blame me. (laughs) So, surprisingly, though, this this is what I find to be so fascinating. Writings on the Wall was number one on more people's balance in the first round, but Hunting Ground Till It Happens to You ranked higher uh, for more people in general. Wow. And was able to edge it out in the end. So, we are now up to best original score. Very competitive one here. Bridge of Spies, Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Free Road, and Sicario. Mad Max bet runner-up is Carol. Yeah. The winner is Mad Max Fury Road, and the runner-up is Carol. There we go. (laughs) Nice, Michael. Very good. Okay. Production design. Bridge of Spies, Carol, Crimson Peak, Mad Max Fury Road, and The Martian. I think Mad Max probably has this one also. Yeah, but I'm delighted that uh, Crimson Peak got a nomination. Yeah, that really should have been there for Oscar, too. I think it's going to be the runner-up here, actually. The winner is Mad Max Fury Road, and the runner-up is Crimson Peak. Wow. <laughs> so, glad to know that you were all fans of Crimson Peak, and I was able to crack it in there. Oh, so good. And Jessica Chastain is terrific in that movie. Yeah. yeah. For best makeup and hairstyling, nominees are Carol, Cinderella, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Star Wars The Force Awakens. I think this is another question of what's the runner up. <laughs> yes. Well, what do you think? I think Star Wars is runner up here. Yeah. Yeah, sounds about right. Mm-hmm. Shocker. The winner is Mad Max Fury Road and the runner up is Carol. Oh, my God. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I was wrong, actually, because I had <laughs> Carol ranked at number one on my ballot. <laughs> Star Wars The Force Awakens made it all the way to the end and it lost out to Carol. Look at that. Yeah. See, that's where the hairstyling really comes into play here for makeup and hairstyling. Yeah. Best film editing. The Big Short, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Steve Jobs. Do we even need a runner-up? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. I mean, Mad Max Fury Road is one of the best edited films of all time, and it ran away with this in the first round. The question was, what was going to be the runner-up? I think Steve Jobs may have been the runner-up. I think The Big Short. Actually, Steve Jobs was knocked out in the first round. The runner-up wow, okay. is The Big Short. Wow. A lot more Big Short appreciation than I expected. Yeah. Big Short didn't really get nominations, though. I think it only got in for editing and ensemble, if I remember correctly. And comedy. Oh, yeah, and best comedy film. That's right. Yeah. Best costume design. Choices are Brooklyn, 
Carol, Cinderella, Crimson Peak, and Mad Max Fury Road. I think Mad Max takes it, but the runner-up is Brooklyn. I actually think it might be Cinderella as the runner-up or winner. I don't know. See, I think Carol is the runner-up. <laughs> the runner-up is Mad Max Fury Road. Ooh. And your winner is Carol. Ooh. Hey, cannot argue with that. And you know what? Carol was actually the one I put at number one. And I love those Mad Max costumes. Don't get me wrong, but... I do think the Carol costumes are also really, really good, too. Yeah, I had to rank them at the top as well, Josh. I, I thought our team, as much as they love Brooklyn, I thought they were going to go strong for, like, the Sersha uh, swimsuit. Oh, yeah. It is yeah. A good, it's a good swimsuit. <laughs> for cinematography, Carol, The Hateful Eight, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, and Sicario. I imagine this is close between Revenant and Mad Max, and I think I'm going to say Mad Max. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, but this is a good category. It went all the way to four rounds of voting, and it was between Mad Max Fury Road and The Revenant. And the runner-up is The Revenant. And the winner is Mad Max Fury Road. You know, he really should have won that here. As great as The Revenant is, and it's beautifully shot, you know, Lubeski won twice before. This was John Seal coming out of retirement. Yeah. And I think he really should have won it in hindsight. For best documentary film. Nominees are Amy, Cartel Land, The Look of Silence, What Happened, Miss Simone, and Winter on Fire, Ukraine's Fight for Freedom. Amy. First round. Yeah, Amy. Runner-up, though, Look of Silence. That doesn't surprise me. It's Excellent a good movie. film, though. Gosh. Very, very uh, interesting story for a documentary. Yeah. I remember, like, just the premise alone, I remember being very intrigued by that. Oh, it's a really, really great film. And I wasn't really the big, a big fan of the first part of that movie. Um, the Act of Killing? Yeah, The Act of Killing. I really wasn't a big fan of that one. But The Look of Silence, I thought, was so much better. It's an excellent movie. Foreign language film, which we might have to rename to international film. Yeah. To be, to be continued there. The Assassin, Embrace the Serpent, Mustang, Phoenix, and Son of Saul. I think Son of Saul ended up as the winner. But for runner-up, I think Mustang probably gathered a lot of support from our team. You know, surprisingly enough, Son of Saul did not win on the first round. Oh. Uh, it actually was competitive all the way until the fourth round, where Michael is right. It came down to Son of Saul and Mustang. The winner was Son of Saul, and Mustang was the runner-up. Ah. Wow. I thought Phoenix would probably have been the runner-up. But... Yeah. Mustang is really Phoenix good. was uh, in third place. Ah. Such a good movie. For animated film, one round of voting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the choices are Animalisa, Boy in the World, Inside Out, The Peanuts Movie, and Shaun the Sheep Movie. Inside Out ran away. However, the uh, only ever film on the list to uh, also get some number one votes was Animalisa and, or Anomalisa, whatever the hell. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I was one of those ballots. <laughs> <laughs> so, but, yeah, no surprise but there. You no, know, I, I gave Inside Out one of the very few tens I've ever given in my life. For adapted screenplay, nominees are Brooklyn, Carol, The Martian, Room, and Steve Jobs. Why? I think Carol won this. As do I. I wonder how Steve Jobs placed. I was rooting for Steve Jobs. Hard. <laughs> I really, really wanted it to go the distance here. Unfortunately, it could not. 
The runner-up was Brooklyn, and the winner is Carol. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For original screenplay, nominees are Ex Machina, The Hateful Eight, Inside Out, Spotlight, and Straight Outta Compton. I think Inside Out took this with the runner-up being Ex Machina. I'm actually leaning towards Ex Machina winning this, but I'm not really that confident. This just seems like a really competitive category. Yeah. It actually wasn't. It only went to three oh. rounds of voting, surprisingly. Ooh. Ooh. The runner-up is Spotlight, and the winner is Ex Machina. Mm. Okay. For debut director, Joel Egerton, The Gift, Alex Garland, Ex Machina, Marielle Heller for The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Laszlo Niemes for Son of Saul, and S. Craig Zoller for Bone Tomahawk. I think we all know that Alex Garland probably won this, that the runner-up. I want to say Marielle Heller, actually. Yeah. Went to two rounds of voting. Alex Garland won on the first round. And the runner-up is Laszlo Nems for Son of Saul. Nice. Very good. For director, Lenny Abramson, Room, Danny Boyle, Steve Jobs, Alejandro Gonzalez, Ingaritu for The Revenant, Todd Haynes for Carol, and George Miller from Mad Max Fury Road. Well, this seems like another category where the question really should be who is the runner-up. <laughs> You're right. Uh, George Miller, Mad Max Fury Road wins on the first round of voting. Who is the runner-up, people? Ugh, I'm going to say Alejandro. Yeah. The runner-up is Alejandro Gonzalez and Yari, too, for The Revenant. Uh, okay. Todd Haynes came <laughs> close, people. He did come close. Todd Haynes was number two on my ballot. Yeah, mine too, actually. For breakout performance, Abraham Atta for Beasts of No Nation, Taron Egerton, Kingsman, The Secret Service, Jason Mitchell for Straight Outta Compton, Daisy Ridley, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Jacob Tremblay for Room. I think it's between Daisy Ridley and Jacob Tremblay, personally. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say Tremblay. You're all correct. Tremblay won on the first round of voting, and the runner-up was Daisy Ridley, Star Wars The Force Awakens. Though it's funny that the... uh person who might be the biggest star out of that was is uh taron edgerton yeah who was number one on my ballot and hey you know what i'm seeing good boys on monday so can't wait to see more jacob mm-hmm. tremblay as as we've never seen him before <laughs> F-bombs. for best voiceover performance richard kind inside out amy poehler inside out phyllis smith inside out james spader avengers age of ultron and david Thewlis for anomalisa it's like a who's who of NBC stars here. <laughs> <laughs> and I think Phyllis Smith got this. Okay. I say Richard Kind. I voted for Phyllis, Phyllis Smith, but I might think that Amy Poehler, because she has the better name recognition, could win this. Yeah, one of the inside out. I think, honestly, inside out for both winner and runner up. Well, Casey is right. There is a re- winner and a runner up, both from inside out. The runner up is Phyllis Smith, mm. and the winner is Amy Poehler. Got it. Awesome. How far did Richard Kind come? Richard Kind was uh, knocked out in the first round. <laughs> oh, he's so good. Richard Kind. Uh, for best youth performance, age 20 and younger, Abraham Atta, Beast of No Nation, RJ Seiler for Me, Earl, and a Dying Girl, Shamik Moore for Dope, Milo Parker, Mr. Holmes, and Jacob Tremblay for Room. The same two who dominated that season. There are some people... Only two of 19 that did not put Jacob Tremblay for room at number one. (laughs) (laughs) 
he ran away with this one, and the runner-up is Abraham Atta for Beasts of No Nation. Yeah. As it, as it should be. Now, did the other two people place Abraham Atta at number one, or did like R.J. Seiler place at number one for somebody? R.J. Seiler did not place at number one for anyone. I'm guessing Shamik Moore probably is maybe one of them. I was going to say, Shamik Moore is the only other person other than Abraham Atta that was placed at number one. Uh, Milo Parker did not place number one for anyone. And, you know, I have to say that obviously Jacob Tremblay is incredible in room, but I do think that one of the unfortunate things about that season is that Abraham Atta couldn't really squeeze into that conversation too much about breakthroughs because he is so good in that movie, too. Yeah. Yeah. He did win at um, Indie Spirit. Which was yeah. amazing. It's, that was so yeah, it cool. It really is his story. Yeah. Best Supporting Actress. It went to four rounds of voting. Mm. What? Jennifer Jason Lee for The Hateful Eight. Rooney Mara for Carol. Rachel McAdams for Spotlight. Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. And Kate Winslet for Steve Jobs. So this is a tricky one because I think Rooney Mara deserves to win. But I know that that is a controversial opinion within the next Best Picture family. So I'm not going to predict her as either the winner or runner-up. I think it's probably winner Alicia Vikander, runner-up Kate Winslet. My thoughts exactly. You're half right. The runner-up is Rooney Mara for Carol. And the winner is Alicia Vikander for Ex Machina. Hey, at least she came that far. <laughs> Yeah, it came down to uh, Rooney Mara and Kate Winslet uh, for the runner-up. And uh, it had to go to a vote count uh, to, to determine. Here, Actually, wait a minute. Uh, wait, actually, th- this is the interesting tidbit. Kate Winslet and uh, I, I, I misspoke. It actually came down to uh, Kate Winslet and Alicia Vikander in round three. And Kate Winslet got knocked out. But the way that the votes distributed, uh, Vikander edged out uh, Mara. It was super close in the end. Wow. Yeah. But at least we uh, we uh, uh, crowned Alicia Vikander for the right movie. Yeah. Yeah. What I think what I think yes. ended up happening here, though, Michael, and what you're saying is true, though, where uh, Mara had a lot of number one support, but those that did not have her number one did not have her a two or three. So I think that's ultimately what hurt in the end. Plus, also maybe some category confusion too. You know, also kind of right, uh, we have people who don't think she should be supporting, and then other people who just don't like the performance. Right. Right. For best supporting actor. Idris Elba, Beast of No Nation, Tom Hardy for The Revenant, Oscar Isaac for Ex Machina, Mark Rylance, Bridge of Spies, and Sylvester Stallone for Creed. Winner Oscar Isaac, runner-up Stallone. That sounds right, but I really don't know who is winning this. Any one of these people can surprise me. (laughs) I was very confident of two things when I first started to get the uh, votes in. I was very, very confident that my, my choice, Idris Elba, was not going to win. Because he was, he was not getting number one votes. And I was very confident that Mark Rylance would also not be uh, winning this category again. And sure enough, they got knocked out uh, early on. The runner-up is Sylvester Stallone for Creed. And the winner is Oscar Isaac for Ex Machina. Michael, you looking at my sheets? <laughs> <laughs> Matt, this is what 11 years of doing this will result in. Yeah. All righty. Best actress time. Kate Blanchett for Carol. Emily Blunt, Sicario. Brie Larson for Room. Charlotte Rampling, 45 Years. Saoirse Ronan, Brooklyn. I think it's between Brie and Saoirse. I don't want my personal bias to decide who I think won that. 
I think it's between Kate and Sersha with Sersha coming out ahead. The runner-up is Sersha Ronan for Brooklyn. And the winner is the Oscar winner, Brie Larson for Rue. Interesting. Mm. For best actor, Matt Damon in The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio for The Revenant, Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, Michael B. Jordan for Creed, and Jacob Tremblay for Room. Michael Jacob Fassbender Tremblay wins. winning the, the Triple Crown? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wish. I think it's DiCaprio and Fassbender. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Leonardo DiCaprio got knocked out in the first round. Really? <laughs> wow. Oh, uh, man. He's having a breakdown in his trailer right now. <laughs> the runner-up is Jacob Tremblay for Room, and the winner is Michael Fassbender for Steve Jobs. I that was number one and number two on my ballot. Yep. Yeah, my number one and my number five. Best Ensemble. Nominees are The Big Short, Brooklyn, The Hateful Eight, Spotlight, and Steve Jobs. Spotlight wins Brooklyn runner-up. Spotlight does win. Runner-up is Steve Jobs. Oh. Oh. It's a good ensemble. And finally, we come to Best Picture. Nominees, Brooklyn, Carol, Ex Machina, Inside Out, Mad Max Fury Road, The Revenant, Room, Spotlight, Star Wars The Force Awakens, and Steve Jobs. Now, taking in everything that you've heard so far of how we ended up getting the winners that we got, what are we thinking right now? I think Mad Max ends up taking it. Uh Uh-huh. And the runner-up here is Brooklyn. I think Mad Max takes it, but I think the runner-up is Carol. Yeah. And I think the runner-up might be Ex Machina. So, let's start off with Tom's Fury. The runner-up idea of Ex Machina was squashed in the first round, where one, (laughs) two, three, four, five films were immediately knocked out uh, due to lack of number one votes. Fooey. And what were those other films? Uh, first round knockouts included Ex Machina, Inside Out, The Revenant, Spotlight, and Steve Jobs. Going all the way down to five rounds of voting. Mm. The runner-up is Brooklyn. And the winner is Mad Max Fury Road. There we go. Yep. Carol duked it out with Brooklyn in the fifth round for that runner-up spot. So they came close. Now, from what I can tell, it sounds like Mad Max won everything except costume design. Uh, everything? That's a good. That's a good question. Actually, I don't know if it won everything. Is that true? I think you I could think be it, right, though. I think, I think it, it did. Was, everything was nominated for, yeah. 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 That's incredible. If I'm so, I mean, Charlize didn't get in for actress. I I'm still shocked by that, honestly. <laughs> but the Charlotte Rampling love was definitely uh, pretty intense. All right. So, yeah, Mad Max Fury Road, 11 wins from NBP. Damn. <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> Might be the best film of the decade. I don't know. I got I to gotta ruminate on that a little bit more, but it's up there. Definitely. Way up there. All right. Any uh, questions? Any comments? We good? Yeah, sounds good. Pretty much came down to what I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to hear what the community says. I can't wait to hear what the community says either. I also can't wait to hear what we have to say for our Big Short and Carol reviews uh, for the month of August. And then that will wrap up our 2015 retrospective series here at Next Best Picture. So 
Once again, to the film community out there, head on over to the website, check out the blog sidebar. It will say MVP Film Community Awards. Click on that and you will then see the form to vote for the winners. Very, very good job, everybody, on picking the winners internally here at Next Best Picture. Michael Schwartz, where can they find you? On the internet. You can find me on Twitter at mschwartz95. Casey Lee Clark. You can find me on Twitter at Casey Lee Clark. Josh Parham. I'm on Twitter at J.R. Parham. And Tom O'Brien. And I am on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 155 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. And also, if you're feeling generous, head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you can get those exclusive podcast reviews for the 2015 movies, Carol, The Big Short, and other goodies that are supposed to be coming to you when we get to Oscar season in the fall. So, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. 